You gave me. Oh, okay. Let's <laughs> cut this first part. Hi. <laughs> you don't have to edit it out. Hello, it's the podcast. It's the podcast. It started. Uh, yeah, no, no Ryan this week. We got the MMA podcast. I'm talking first, even though Sharom's the host, because I like us. to oppress him as a minority. Um, <laughs> you know how it is. But yeah, yeah. it's the MMA podcast. Another week of no event. So uh, what are we doing this week? Uh, we are doing the end of year rewards, which there will be an article coming out soon. But this is just kind of a preliminary discussion about what the three of us think. Um, we're also watching the collapse of U.S. democracy, but that's in the background. It's less important than year end of the year awards. So two of the year. Yeah. <laughs> the collapse seems more assured than like who we're picking for the awards. So I think there needs to be more discussion about the. Awards yeah, it's going to. It's actually going to be a discussion. That's the difference. Yes. It's actually contentious. Yeah, and uh, who who do we have here with us? Uh, we have Ed Gallo, who is the smartest person. Well, I obviously. Know, obviously. Uh, we have. Uh, myself and we are the usuals and we have Aki Shackleberger who is a writer for the fight site uh, Twitter user extraordinaire and also one of the smartest people I know you might I know him as Chungus Khan on Twitter oh yeah you should know him as Chungus Khan right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah Kiyoji I also Khan have now, right? I... hmm? it's not Kyoji Khan uh, Kyoji Khan is uh, the uh, like a celebratory profile name in the uh, in the wake of uh, Kyoji Haraguchi's triumphant return to form. Easy fight. Yeah, easy fight. <laughs> I, I also host uh, the Tengridan podcast that's uh, been on hiatus for some quite some time, so uh, maybe I'll get back to, to that. Triumphant return to podcasting right here. Yeah. Through our own last week. Most well-organized podcasts on the internet. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, like, but it's the only podcast done by a person that lives in a Siberian village that has better audio quality than heavy hands. <laughs> better audio quality than heavy hands and better audio quality than Frank Trigg on the Rising Broadcast. <laughs> Frank Trigg was broadcasting from the Mariana Trench. He was actually using the built-in mic on his laptop. That's that's just that's the standards hey, of broadcasting I have in MMA here. He had several seconds lag. It was so amazing. <laughs> it's like the guy would say something, and Frank Turk was like, "Yes, I agree." And like it, it wasn't. It's like he wasn't even watching the fights. But yeah, we have the ending. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> That's what the YouTube commentator says. Rom sounds like. What? Every every video, the YouTube commenters have something to say about Sri Ram's audio quality. Oh uh, yeah, apparently, like I hit a peak somewhere in the middle, and now it's all down. <laughs> it's only going downhill from here. It just fluctuates based on your mood. Uh, that's constant. Uh, <laughs> it's down uh, trending yes. for years. Hard to go down more. Uh, anyway. Fighter of the year. We Awards. Have... Fighter of the year. <laughs> We're gonna start with that. And it's pretty much unanimous, as it should be, unless there's some... It's pretty much unanimous, as Joseph is greater. Guest host, Frank Trigg. <laughs> oh, yeah, if I yeah. Of the year, I'm pretty comfortable saying that uh, the pick on the fight side will be Davidson Figueredo, who uh, won four times this year, two against the same opponent. One of those fights, not all that meaningful, but three distinct opponents, three top flyweights, and he pretty much beat them all. So Also managed to cut weight twice in one month and 
didn't die. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. Now, yeah. uh, last time, me, Ed, and Ryan Wagner uh, pretty much handled Fig's last two fights. We'll probably give the Benavidez fights a little bit of a uh, of talking here. But first off, I want to know what Iggy thinks, because he's the one who has not had his thoughts documented on this podcast. So, Iggy, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, on well, uh, I wanted to go against the grain and quote uh, Phil McKenzie on uh, his, uh, because I, I actually agree with him in that I think Davison Figueredo is too small a person to give him fighter of the year. Meanwhile, heavyweight champion Stephen Jocic is a very large and strong man, so he wins by default. <laughs> it's actually a view some people have. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, Figgy kind of uh, just... Uh, uh, just pulled all the stops, like went sicker mode and uh, actually stayed active unlike most champions do in the UFC and uh, uh, did that naturally for peanuts because he's a flyweight and uh, he did the impossible. He managed to turn around Dana White on how he treats flyweights uh, by being huge and uh, having enormous punching power and really violent. And uh, well, as we already mentioned that uh, he managed to cut weight uh, like twice in a, in the span of a single month while being enormous and didn't die of, of, of organ failure. And most of his fights were, uh, like his last Marina fight was really back and forth. Well, it was not back and forth. Uh, <laughs> despite the attempts to the, to the attempts from Joe Rogan and DC to conv convince us otherwise. It, so all his performances were really dominant this year. And uh, like... Uh, he basically won the first Benavides fight and should have been champion from there. But since he's uh, since he's ginormous, <laughs> he missed weight, so he had to beat him a second time. It did did it even more violently and heartbreakingly. So, and uh, I mean, there's really no other argument here for fighter of the year. I mean, Khabib's fought an excellent fight, but he retired immediately afterwards so he basically so he doesn't count on uh on account of his activity you know yeah, uh, yeah so it's thick for me no argument here yeah i mean i'd almost argue that benavidez one was kind of more competitive than moreno because uh, moreno took round four kind of maybe maybe not and benavidez yeah. took round one uh, I think a bit more convincingly, honestly. Like, the first time I thought it was a fig round, but also I thought there was a knockdown and fig just kind of shoved him down the game. Uh, uh, but, yeah, without that... Benavides actually... Yeah, Benavides actually connected meaningful offense and didn't, yeah. like... And didn't connect with slappy jabs that made Joe Rogan then cream his pants <laughs> every time he whiffed on, certain, on something. Uh, with that said, I fully understand completely retconning the first round of that fight because fight two was like an absolutely biblical beating yeah. on Figueredo's <laughs> part. It was it was nasty to watch. Um, and I mean, I think the impressive thing with Figueredo is how consistently he's able to come in with smart game plans uh, against Benavidez. It was the, the counterpunching as Benavidez did his uh, janky combination work. It was, it's really smart and it's really good but it's also janky at the same time. And that's what people tend to see. And Figueredo made people see it even more. Um, yeah. People tend to shoehorn Figueredo as this just simply a ginormous man. That's uh, that is athlete man with big bunk, but uh, he actually does really crafty things to like bank on his attributes and not just use him as a crutch. As some people believe, like for example, against Morena, he would consistently 
adapt to the uh, to every, adapt every time Marina had success with something like he would like Marina would connect with a Jap and Figueredo immediately went to uh, baiting the Jap in order to connect with a cross counter and little things like that keep kept happening happening throughout the fight so it just and Figueredo is also great because you can actually see him thinking because he's not completely like uh, automatically just comes in with a good game plan. And he just adapts on the fly and you can see like the gears turning in his head. And it's really interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's something that uh, Ryan brought up a while ago is that uh, Figueroa versus Moreno was kind of brought up as like this athlete versus the technician. And um, I was never oh, sure no. that that was particularly accurate because Moreno's also, as we saw with him, not dying with like the first round. He's also kind of a stupid athlete. When it comes yeah, to Figueredo is just is a is a stupendously durable man. It's it's insane. You you can't label him a non-athlete simply because he doesn't explode like a nuclear bomb every time he wants to connect with something. He's just he's insanely durable and insanely uh, and his stamina is just uh, outrageous. Yeah, it definitely so, dovetails with what Ed brought up last time about how athletes aren't just the figurators. That's right. Yeah. So if you think you're a non-athlete listener and you feel like have decent stamina and can take a punch, don't feel bad. Yeah. Don't feel I bad mean, about that. There's other figure, things you should feel bad about. Yeah. Fig- <laughs> figure would still figure would still do you though. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Moreno doesn't need to feel bad about being a non-athlete because he definitively is not a non-athlete. But he does kind of need to feel bad about being less good at using those athletic traits than Figueredo, uh, because you know, figure like Moreno kind of relies on his chin a lot in terms of being able to push a pace, and that's not particularly actionable against Figueredo, who you know, for example, if Figueredo has a cardio issue, uh, he's very good at limiting his opponent's volume with his counter punching and smashing their body until they cry. So I mean, that's he gets like, tired. He just says, "I'm going to throw harder now." <laughs> I respect yeah. that. Gage and Figgy share the same trait in that they're able to limit uh, exchanges by leveraging their power against their opponents. And so the opponent gets... Uh, it, well, it was kind of like a, a Ferguson-Gage situation where Moreno would want to pour on volume, but he'd get punished for that volume for trying to do so every time he, he, uh, he connected with something. And he d- didn't manage to get the ball rolling for the entirety of the fight, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a really clever fight because I brought this up last time. It's that um, Moreno's lead hand was kind of like the story of the matchup going in. And Figueredo was very quick at getting to both, you know, pull away from it to play with his gauge of distance, across countering it, playing with these little like crouches to jab with him and left hook as he uh, threw the jab. I mean, Moreno didn't have no success or also wouldn't be a great fight, but it was a pretty commanding fight on Figueredo's part. Yeah, last thing I want to say about this fight before it turns into a Figmarini discussion is that uh, having uh, connecting with a jab a lot doesn't mean you have a good jab. It means you just have a volume jab. A jab is more than just connections. You have to like play around with it. You have to play with the rhythm. You have to feint with it in order to set up other offense. It's not just a weapon on its own. And if uh, Marina was punished for using that basically throughout the entire fight. So, uh, yeah, f- fig train, fig train, yeah, way, let's go, figgy. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't die in the next time you cut weight. I hope you don't do, <laughs> hope you don't cut weight twice a month <laughs> going forward. That, that's horrible. <laughs> uh, the last fight in that was Perez, which was regrettably forgettable. 
Perez just kind of got guillotined yeah. in the middle of the first round. Just, just comically fast finish. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> oh, I'm going to take you down now. Oh, no. You're not going to take me down now. Okay, I sub you now. Goodbye. Can we yeah, stop? So... Can we just not talk about that fight <laughs> ever again? Okay. <laughs> For, for my sake, protect my feelings. <laughs> yeah, it, it talked a big game about <laughs> Perez's ability to wrestle. <laughs> he did. He did take him down. It's it, old man. Did he take him down? <laughs> Figure was just no. Yeah, did. Fig, fig just she did, did take him down. I think it was just no. Well, Fig bailed because yeah. he knew he couldn't stop him from taking him down. That's what he could just grab the fence again. Happened in the Moreno fight a lot, too. I, uh, I revisited that, that fight today uh, just because we talked a lot about uh figs takedown defense and uh more more of the times that fig got taken down than i remember it was actually him trying to counter in some way and not actually failing his defense more of uh. just not having defense and like over counters instead oh yeah it's like that he did his little uchimata thing uh in like the fourth or fifth round after four rounds of trying <laughs> oh, yeah it's like that first uh, takedown where like uh, moreno had the waist lock and fig instead of like yeah. fighting grip strength he just like rolled forward and butterflied him F it Grandy roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fatman rolled like in Dark Souls, and that's what it, what the actual name is. When you're the size that Fig is for uh, flyweight, every roll is a Fatman roll. Anyway. Yeah, so fight of the year. So let's move on. <laughs> yeah, that's fighter of the year. It's all pretty open and shut. Fight of the year is a, a lot less open and shut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So- we really split up on that in terms of who thinks what fight is the best. Uh, equally valid arguments, especially yours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, start Mag- with, valid. Let's start with Ed. Um, you picked Holloway and Volkanovski too. I did. I did pick Holloway and Volkanovski too, but this is like peak hipster mode of it was the most technicalist of the fights and not because it was like oh so much action but all right listen though there was there was a decent amount of action it was a high volume fight lots of momentum shifts there were knockdowns it had all the stuff that people like uh about fights but it was also just like with regard to like skill and depth in striking the best fight of the year in that regard as well so i felt like it ticked all the boxes it just wasn't crazy insane violence which is kind of what you got out of Fig Moreno and like uh, Wei Li Zhang and and Yawana and Jacek like that was like super high volume and they're just getting hit with everything. Um, so that was like probably what people liked about those. That's why people think Hermens and Vittori was a good fight, which it was not. Ovsky, um, <laughs> uh, Holloway too. That was like okay, yeah, like lots of stuff is happening, but all the stuff is good. And uh, Dan Albert has uh, an article coming out about that fight, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, Max Volk 2 was this uh, sort of fight that you sometimes see in Shonen anime where the characters would freeze in place and just you, you could see the, <laughs> the gears turning in their head and they're in a monologue going, if he does this, I'm going to <laughs> use my special move. But if I use my special move, he's going to use his another special move. What do I do? And, and then just sort of the dynamic actually plays out and it takes like a couple of seconds and then Volk suddenly goes down. <laughs> And then he goes up, and then suddenly Max is the one getting pushed back and counted. Yeah, it was really interesting. But uh, yeah, I agree. It's a bit of a hipster pick as well. Thank you. Because, because <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, Max Volk seems to be edging on the dock that we're currently looking at, consulting. Uh, yeah, about uh, Zhang versus uh, Yin Jiechik, the thing is, is that um, while it was a very violent and action-packed fight, it was also like uh, there technical and uh, deficiencies allowed for that to happen because it was just uh, two girls with uh, kind of uh, uh, meat and potatoes striking, just finding holes in each other's defense and connecting with everything. So I, I just, uh, I can't, I can't. I'm a misogynist. I hate women. That's the official position yeah, that, of the site. Yeah, that's our official position. We hate all women. If you're a woman and listening to this, please... Well, continue yeah, listening by all means, but <laughs> yeah, that's Give us money from the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's too far <laughs> on air, Sri Ram. That's that is sexist. It went from joke territory to real sexism. Yikes! Holding you accountable. Yikes! Life, yeah, draw draw and quote Sri Ram. We're having right a on there. Cancelled here right now. Wow. At least you didn't impersonate a female. Is that is that sexist to do a girl accent? I think I'm naturally doing a girl accent. Oh, geez. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, right. Uh, I think Sriram also had a, uh, a hipster pick for this. Uh, I don't even know. That, that transcends hipsterism, but you go ahead. Yeah. Absolute hipster. Defend your position. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, Holloway Volkanovsky, too. Um, I enjoy the fight a lot. I think it's definitely in the running for fight of the year. Uh, someone like Poirier Hooker, for instance, is just like kind of crazy, stupid, mindless violence, which is fun. Uh, and it was even less mindless than like Weili Shang versus Yin Jacek or um, Hermanson Vittoria, which wasn't even super violent. It was just kind of like the same two things happening over and over. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think what I really enjoyed about it is how, I, how it interacted with the first fight. It was, uh, you know, if you look at like, for example, Volkanovsky fights, like he's already had a first fight in each of his first fights. So like, for example, for Holloway, uh, he was kicking, but he knew that Holloway would like counter with a jab and uh, he would counter that like proactively and Holloway this time he had like the same experience where he actually had a first fight to build off you know he could like counter the dipping jab with the uppercut and then Volkanovski would adapt like a round later it was insane but uh, yeah my pick is complete hipster it's like the, the hipster of hipsters um I believe it happened in September uh, Abdulaziz Abdulvahabal versus Alexander Sarnaski you can't pronounce the names don't worry about it because no one's going to ask you about it but um yeah AAA won the lightweight belt again for the second time after losing it to Ali Bagov against uh, an opponent who was a lot trickier than I think people would have expected, mostly because the wrestling did not work at all for uh, AAA somehow. So, uh, yeah, it was basically, it was uh, AAA's usual struggles with strong outfighters where Sarnowski would kind of pivot around him, take angles and exchanges as uh, AAA stepped in and uh, poor AAA with his dumb T-Rex arms not be able to catch him. And, uh, but as the fight went on, uh, even though Sarnowski kind of completely destroyed his body in like the first couple rounds, uh, AAA still had the gas to push hard, uh, kill him in the clinch, and take a pretty clear uh, unanimous decision. Uh, I'd recommend a watch. I have an article out on it. That, uh, I believe all the videos should still be up because that was the first one I did with gifts. So go check that out. And yeah, uh, it's it's a real interesting find because uh, uh, it can serve as a study a study material for people who have trouble like uh, cutting off outfighters with the footwork because. Uh, Triple uh, A would use the threat of the clinch in order to. Uh, he would use the clinch and tie ups and body work in order to tire Sarnowski out, uh, while getting body shotted himself. And uh, the clinch, with in combination with the body work, actually managed to uh, 
do more work than uh, Zanowski's very potent body work in the first rounds did. But of course, it also has it also owes itself to uh, AAA being an insane <laughs> insane Terminator that can't be hurt. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend you watch this fight as well. Uh, it's also yeah, it's also an interesting study material in how MMA Russian MMA fighters approach uh, their boxing technique because it's really Soviet-like. They have this these weird like loopy hooks. It looks very interesting. If you, I think it's if even if it's not your fight of the year, it's going to be interesting. So watch this fight. It, it's brilliant. There's one more fight that I wanted to talk about um, before we get to Iggy's real pick which is, you know, probably the best fight we've discussed so far. But before uh, Max Volk 2, uh, my fight of the year pick was uh, Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos. Um, was that five? Five rounds? That was the main event? Three. That was three. three. It was three rounds. It was such a banger. And I think if you err more toward the side of I just need to watch some crazy violence uh, where lots of stuff happens and, and they go nuts, um, it definitely – meets that niche but it was actually pretty complex you know just with the rubber was actually going on and there were like shifts in momentum but not just like oh i hit you harder and now i have the upper hand because they were hitting each other hard the whole time but it was mostly like josh emmett like getting better at fighting before our eyes which is really cool and uh just drawing uh shane burgos into a crazy fight and shane burgos just being super stubborn saying i'm going to continue to fight you the same way and i'm gonna make it work and just going to keep selling out on my chin and just using my chin to get to you. Uh, and it, it just ended up being, being absolutely bonkers. Um, which, you know, some people would say that uh, Poirier Hooker was kind of in the same category and longer. But Poirier Hooker just had so many, like, why are you doing that type of decisions where I'm like, this isn't you know, like these guys. It's a Dustin Poirier fight. <laughs> it was Dustin Poirier, like, doing his best to lose that fight and still still pulling it out and i was like all right that that gave me anxiety whereas uh, yeah emmett burgos was just fun yeah the main difference is that uh josh emmett was actually uh improving as the fight went along while on one leg meanwhile dustin poe was handicapping himself <laughs> in order to make it more competitive almost like okay let's have fun I just yeah like take me down has I'm, one I'm gonna... long, so he kind of has to like be fair <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, yeah, Emmett Burgos was fantastic. Um, I also did an article on it. I think it was uh, Burgos definitely did saw that on his chin late in the fight, and that he would have died like early in round three if he hadn't. But it was also a pretty tricky defensive fight from him early in the fight, where he uh, eventually figured out. Well, first of all, Emmett could like never really hit him on on the lead in like the first couple of rounds, and Emmett started like counterpunching him. And then Burgos was like, "Hey, if I jab, he can't counterpunch me." And he jabbed, and Emmett could not counterpunch him. And then Emma was like, hey, I can't counterpunch him. So then he just figured out how to hit him on the lead again. It was, it was a really satisfying kind of progression to the fight uh, where Emma just turned into Joseph Benavides somehow. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was great. That's a good shot. And finally, Iggy, what, what is the actual best fight of the year? Yeah, I'm going to like start from the beginning and explain my process. Like, uh, my first pick was also Max versus Volk 2, but uh, then I sort of like went back and thought about it. And uh, I realized that I didn't really enjoy it as much as some other people because I'm a dumb, vicious orc and I like seeing violence. And, <laughs> I, uh, and I almost picked 
Jan versus Aldo, which was uh, an excellent fight up until the final round. <laughs> it was like excellent, amazing technical violence from start to almost finish. And, we, and the, it, the fight should have been stopped uh, after the fourth round. And then for some reason, Aldo's, Aldo's corner just let him uh, go, to, go into the fifth round. And then uh, and on top of that, Besides being like an extremely like violent finish, also the the referee turned out to be like an evil energy vampire that <laughs> feeds on other people's suffering and on the suffering of viewers and fight fans, and let it continue for almost half a round while Aldo was just squirming on the ground, getting beat up, like most of the blood, you know, getting most of the blood out of his face, beat out of his face. It was just ah. Uh, uh, it was hard to watch, and so after many like many hours of uh, rumination and uh, like reflection, I decided that my my pick for fight of the year is actually uh, pregnant pause. Derek Lewis versus Alexey Olenik. <laughs> Yeah, just just I mean, sit down and think about it for for a while. I, I mean, your first reaction might be that who the fuck is this guy? Why why did they allow him to record this <laughs> with them and <laughs> ruin the credibility of the website? But uh, but I mean, uh, it's first of all, it's big dumb lads fighting. Uh, second of all, it's Derek Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> who's just uh, a, an endless, like, uh, boundless fountain of comedy whenever he fights. And he actually try, he's actually trying to improve. He's actually trying to learn how to wrestle and defend takedowns instead of just bench-pressing people out uh, of him. And Alexei Olenik is just... Olenik is like... I mean, the fight was, like, basically alternate universe flyweight. If you... <laughs> If you want to imagine like what the heavyweights would have looked if they were actually good and you know, we were trying like things that make sense and limit uh, limit the dumb brute violence and try try and try and grapple, just watch this fight. It's uh, it, it's so insane. I was watching it and that was it was an out of body experience for me because I thought I literally thought that I ended up in in an alternate universe where. Flyweight is actually the shit division. Meanwhile, heavyweight is the good division. The majority <laughs> of fans believe that, so it's not that <laughs> that contrary. Yeah, I mean, go back double against it. <laughs> I mean, it's like a, it's like a shitty Ouroboros, mm-hmm. a shitty snake that eats its own tail. <laughs> I'm a hipster among hipsters because I believe the casual take. Yes. Yeah. I've circled back. I, I, I've, I've done such a hipster pick that I've circled back around to being a casual. <laughs> you worked yourself into a shoot. <laughs> cool. Uh, we, I'm, I'm checking the document right now, and uh, you know, be it intentional or or not, we don't have anything not from the UFC on this entire list. And I just want you to know, I watch other organizations. It's just, I think it just so happened that this year. It was all UFC stuff. Um, Superior, because I had an yeah. ACA pick. Yeah, ACA I didn't watch as much this year because all their best guys weren't really fighting. Or when they did fight, they didn't look good. <laughs> yeah, Vartang so and Kokov were set. 
Um, but yeah, last year we did have some non-UFC stuff just to let you know that it's not just that we don't. don't I think I think comeback. I think comeback of the year should be Keiji Horiguchi. Uh, we don't have comeback of the year. We should. <laughs> we, should we should have one just for Kyoji. Yeah, career comeback uh, for sure for Gucci. You know, gets knocked out and loses his streak, then comes back and easy fight. You know, what's what's a better story than that? I mean, also we could for some of the year there was the AJ McKee. Yeah, yeah. Because that so was like genuinely weird. It was. It was. Uh, let's let's talk about that when we get there. So performance of the year. Uh, I just. I always have trouble with this one uh, because it's like when someone looks really, really good in a fight to most people, a lot of the time it's also because the other person looked really bad and you have to leverage like, okay, how much of that is the good person making them look bad? How much of it is, you know, not that. Um, so that's, that's what's going to be like the argument I think between each one Um if that's how you want to go with performance of the year, like if you just go like, you know, sometimes it's objectively easy to tell when one fighter is having like the performance of their life and like fighting, you know, out of their mind really well. Uh, for example, something that we didn't pick, uh, well, Matt picked it. Um, Matt picked uh, Jose Aldo's performance versus Peter Yan, a fight that he lost. Um, so obviously Matt is dumb and that can't be the pick, but it's a good example <laughs> of how you might arrive at that kind of point just because, you know, Aldo, after losing sort of to Marlon Marais and being clearly past his prime and on a losing streak. Uh, I think he's also a mummy. Yeah. <laughs> being a mummy and just being not himself physically at all kind of came out and like fought really well versus Peter Yan. And like the really obvious thing for people to see was he was kicking. He was kicking a lot. So people were like, Oh, Aldo used to kick and now he is kicking again. This is Prime Aldo we're seeing now. He's in his prime still. <laughs> He's back to his prime because he is throwing kicks. Um, so that's like a, a something you could latch on to. But obviously Matt is a ridiculous person. That can't be the answer because he lost. Um, so I'll just start with the one that I picked. Um, I picked uh, Habib's performance versus Justin Gaethje. And there is a lot of fair criticism of how Justin Gaethje approached the fight and some of the stuff he did in the fight. Like deciding that out fighting and like keeping Khabib like a certain distance from him, maintaining that range. None of us thought that was a good idea coming into the fight. We all acknowledged it was possible because that's what he's been doing his last few fights. Um, so like, oh no, this might just be the new normal. Um, maybe it is. Uh, and he didn't pressure. So he didn't approach the best game plan versus Khabib. But considering the fight that they had, Khabib did basically everything you would want him to do pressuring Gaethje and you know ate some crazy shots and found ways to you know uh have some shots like slide off him a little bit or hit him like you know top top back of the head you know places that aren't quite as dangerous as full flush face breakers um you know took a bunch of leg kicks and also just uh the game planning uh you know changing changing up his attacks you know hitting that double you know, on his knees and turning the corner, something we haven't seen him do in the UFC, something that he probably hasn't done for a long time. So just the adaptation and just fighting a really clean fight, a very straightforward approach, you know, one of the least uh, hole-ridden performances he's had in a long time. Uh, the Dustin Poirier fight last year got, got some awards from people. And I just didn't really consider that as impressive a performance because of how dumb 
Dustin Poirier was being like backing himself all the way up to the cage, jumping on the guillotines, like stuff like that. But you know, at the same time, you know, Justin Gaethje didn't really do himself that many favors either. And then once it went to the ground, didn't really look like he had much of an idea. Yeah, um, he basically made it to look like he knows zero BJJ, which yeah. is something that actually people actually believe th these days. He made it which, look like that, but he was yeah just us into believing that. <laughs> I mean, maybe it, it was just his spirit of entertainment. He didn't watch us, didn't want us to get bored watching him stall. <laughs> I think people are underestimating how quickly a lot of those transitions happen. Like I watched the fight again today, and there wasn't all that much time for Casey to do things. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. he fought the best grappler in the world in MMA, and just, yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously, you're going to look bad against him at some On point. Yeah. yeah. So that's my pick for, for performance of the year. Just Habib looked very impressive. And then he got to retire on the win against probably the most dangerous opponent of his career and what could have been a really, really tough stylistic matchup, but be it a combination of his approach and Gaethje's approach or just his approach or what have you, um, it turned into easy fight. Um, so that's why, that's why I picked that. I mean, my original pick, and that's the pick on the document, was uh, Khabib, or not Khabib, uh, Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. But also, now that I kind of think of it, it it kind of loses some shine, given that the same approach kind of got him wrecked. By, like, it was a very good fight from Justin Gaethje, and I'll probably stick with it, because uh, Ferguson kind of got his ass whooped completely. But it also kind of represents a progression towards a style of fighting that I don't want Gaethje to go towards. If that makes sense, like I think mm -hmm. Pressure Gaethje could have done Tony Ferguson just as badly, and uh, Donald Cerrone just as badly. Like that kind of goes without saying for anyone who's good. But that said, it was a terrific performance, and I'm probably just going to stick with it because that's what I have on um, Gaethje versus Ferguson at UFC 249 to win the interim lightweight championship. Uh, Gaethje came in, I believe, like semi-short notice, which makes it pretty impressive. Um, I think. It was one of those fights that made people realize how good Justin Gaethje was at several things that he was good at all along, but they were all kind of subordinate to his pressure attack and didn't get the uh, shine that they deserved against like his first three opponents, which were all like pretty awful matchups for him, like in terms of, you know, just like archetypes, three guys who like really rip through a guard and uh, not get counterpunched super easily. But yeah, uh, to Tony Ferguson, pretty much every one of his bad habits on the feet got ripped apart. Uh, the way that he'd square up in the pocket to get bombed by the right hand, his uh, kind of messy exits where he'd like leave side on and Gaethje would track him down with the left hook. Uh, it was a very simple, elegant performance that was kind of, was only marred by that uppercut in the second round. And then Whitman was like, hey, don't be a complete idiot. And then he wasn't and he didn't get uppercutted again. So yeah, uh, Gaethje versus Ferguson is my pick. Um, yeah, the thing with Gaethje is that he has a talent for making people uh, think he's actually bad. <laughs> <laughs> because his earlier style made people think that he's like some kind of dumb brute that doesn't know how to defend himself but can only bang and then <laughs> after losing and uh, defending, defeating other, uh, defeating uh, like going on his win streak and then losing to Habib, now people think that he's actually like, he has zero grappling <laughs> so it's a unique talent of his uh, to make people underestimate him which I suppose something that he could bank on going forward against like Chucky Olives and other people with uh, grappling games, solid grappling games. And uh, yeah, the thing about performance of the year, it's like, a, it's a tricky subject because um, how do you rate someone's performance? As, as I has pointed out, like 
Is it the cleanliness of the performance? Is it the quality of the opponent against you, against whom you had this performance? And so Ben Cohn actually had uh, like a really good point about this. He made separate rankings. Like one one uh, one column was uh, quality of performance against quality opponent, and the other was uh, clean cleanliness of the performance. Like how easily did you dismantle your guy? And uh, in the second column, uh, his uh, number one pick was uh, Easy versus Costa, which is ob- obviously like a flawless performance. But uh, then again, with the caveat that Costa literally did nothing he just stood there getting kicked up and torn to pieces and uh, uh in the left column uh in the quality performance uh column uh, he picked um i'm pretty sure he picked habib versus gage as well but yeah this is just uh an interesting idea that uh, uh maybe we could play around in the future or, so, or some other people may take note of when rating someone just an interesting concept but yeah, my pick. Um, <laughs> well, obviously, I'm also. I think I'm also leaning towards uh, Khabib versus Gagey. But uh, my first pick was also Gagey versus Tony Ferguson. But now that I think of it, uh, it was also the sort of thing that uh, it's really compelling to pick it because Gagey fought against type first of all, and fought against type very well. Like late. Uh, late career style changes are extremely taxing mentally and physically and it's extremely like they're extremely difficult and can take a lot out of a fighter and either and in some cases they ruin fighters because they no longer fight to their strengths but uh, in in this case it was Gagey actually revealing the strengths that he already had like the um his um reflexes on the counter his ability to pick his openings but on uh, but also it was a sort of performance that revealed all of Tony's Tony Ferguson's flaws, uh, because Ferguson was just following him around, getting clattered, and uh, so it's kind of like either or. Did it actually? Was it actually Gagey that uh, performed so well, seeing as he got uh, uh, like done by Khabib so quickly with his pressure game, with Khabib's pressure, or was it Tony enabling? Gagey to shine in that particular fight because it was the frequent criticism of uh, Gagey's win streak, uh, late career win streak, was that uh, the matchups just simply got really, really easy. So uh, I guess I'm, uh, as much as I love that fight, I suppose I'm leaning towards Habib versus Gagey as well. Uh, Simply because Habib was uh, basically also did uh, things that we never saw him do and maybe like, it was a very informative performance because uh, we had this thing for years and years where we would say, oh, Khabib has holes. Khabib doesn't do these things. And uh, fighters usually don't do things that they never shown in previous fights. We can only bank on things. We can only uh, like pick uh, pick based on things that we already saw. And Khabib shown, has shown things that he that we actually never saw. Right. <laughs> nice <laughs> nice butted butter there. <laughs> Uh, nice tautology there, but uh, yeah, uh, Khabib versus Gagey, hands down. Sounds really like great a good performance. pick for the site. It seems to be the overwhelming pick. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like the Izzy versus Costa show, but that one I think it's a lot easier to say. This seems to be a lot about the other guy just doing a bad job. Oh. Yeah, like Gagey versus Tony and uh, 
Costa versus Easy both have this thing, but so with Costa, it's extremely obvious that he, he didn't he come did in. Nothing. <laughs> that he genuinely, genuinely nothing. He just stood there. Yeah. That's all he did. Ineligible for the, for the award because his opponent was inert, um, which is why Yoel Romero should really be winning awards for his win over Izzy because he won by doing nothing. Which I think <laughs> Absolutely. Was pretty amazing. Um, here's another. Uh, category that I have a tough time defining. Uh, so breakout fighter of the year. We picked our categories based on what what categories people do with these kinds of awards, and then just tried to figure it out from there. Uh, breakout fighter of the year is always weird to me because you know it's inherently just based on the name. It feels like it should be about someone who like broke out from the pack, right? You know they were in whatever pack they were in. Now they're in a new pack or they're on their own. Whatever. I don't know what kind of animal it is. Are they wolves? They went from wolves and sheep dogs. Wolves, <laughs> wolves, sheep, and sheep dogs. <laughs> and sheep dogs now. Tim Kennedy. For Shout the out Tim Kennedy. Award. He is a sheep dog. Uh, always, always. But so, but I guess what confuses me is, does it have to be someone that broke out from, you know, not being on the radar at all to being on the radar? Could they have been someone who is like, uh, you know, top twenty-ish type of guy and they became, you know, elite? You know, how, how do you do it? What do you say? So. That's why our picks are all over the place. And I haven't made a pick yet, actually. I haven't figured out what I want to say. Um, but I think uh, there are at least four different, four or five different uh, choices on here. And uh, the one, I, I have issues with all of them, honestly. Uh, the one that seems to be popular uh, and that Ben picked from the group, uh, I guess is the one I'd like to talk about first, is uh, Hamza Shimaev, who went from not being in the UFC to having three wins in the UFC and being very, very, very popular considering being a three and O fighter against, sorry to Gerald Mearshart, nobody. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's obviously the takeaway from, from this is yeah, he definitely broke out into a new, a new position um, ranked as well as <laughs> un, un, unsigned to ranked in a year after beating nobody uh, in, in impressive fashion, as impressively as he can beat nobody. Um, so you can't really knock the performances. You could just knock the opposition, but how can you, you can't make critical uh, evaluations until you fight somebody better or until you, you see some sort of gaps in the armor. So it makes sense to nominate Shumaya for this award. I'm just wondering, can we play with the definition of the award to give it to other people? Because uh, uh, I'll, let, I'll let someone else take it for, for Kevin Holland, but just my issue with the Kevin Holland pick is, has he really broken into a different tier it just seems like he's been winning in the same tier uh of course the jacare win is going to change people on that but in fact if you look closely you'll see that jacare has actually slipped down into kevin holland's tier and not the other way <laughs> around <laughs> what do you guys feel about this category uh yeah, yeah. the hamzat pick is uh, weird to me because uh, giving Hamza chemaev breakout of the year award, uh, award feels like giving him an award for getting in the UFC and that's it <laughs> like got in the UFC the fastest award like well done and uh, when you think about it I, I actually can't recall who he beat uh, who he beat outside of Gerard Murshad who <laughs> was the other guy John... two Europeans who can't wrestle oh yeah not Jack Marshman. I was thinking about Jack Marshman the same and Jack Marshman are the same fighter don't, don't oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah there were the ones that showed up, like bulging over their trousers back when it was in London, I believe. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, beat up two absolutely like literally beat nobody basically. So I think he's ineligible purely <laughs> based on that. He's he's had three fights against who the fuck knows who, and uh, Kevin Holland, yeah, beating him. Beating it looked really funny, but I mean, <laughs> if you knock Jacare Souza from the bottom, it tells more things about Jacare Souza than uh, than about the fighter that knocks him out. Yeah. Uh, uh, who else was there? <laughs> sure, how yeah. you feeling about this? I know, I know, all this Gerald Mearshart slander is hurting you. Yeah, I mean, I I have indeed heard of Gerald Mearshart, but. Uh, I don't. I, I feel more comfortable about considering that like a big breakout victory if uh, Shemaev like did more things in the fight to say that he is in a tier of someone higher than Gerald Mearshart. And one punching someone doesn't really do that for me, if I'm honest, because like it was it was one punch. He didn't beat him hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like yeah, <laughs> we needed weird. to see Mearshart die in order to for us to rate it. He, he beat him too hard. <laughs> He beat him too hard. He beat him so hard that I'm not sure if my shard is just like just fucking shit. shit now or shot or something like that. <laughs> or even if it can be replicated, like if Mirshard doesn't just get walked to the fence in like 0.2 seconds. So yeah, Shamayev's tough. I picked Drew Dober, and I think that's like it kind of goes into the broke out into a new tier thing because I think you're, you're, picking, I, you're picking Drew Dober simply because he showed up shirtless for your interview with him. That, that's that's the real reason. <laughs> that's how we really broke out. Okay, Jesus he broke out of his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget that uh, before uh, the Nasrat Hackrest fight in January of last year, uh, he was kind of like a, an action fighter, a gatekeeper type, uh, yeah. kind of like sub twenty, I think. Like Benil, he kind of beat the crap out of Benil Dariush at the beginning of twenty nineteen, and then got subbed, and we're like, oh, that's so Drew Dober, and then. Uh, he beat Marco Polo Reyes, but he'd been like alternating. So I think he was kind of in that uh, 20 to 25 tier before. And now he's knocked out Nasrat Hakparast, who was very, very good. And he's knocked out Alexander Hernandez, who was less good, but also like kind of has a name in the division. So he's gone into like 15 to 10 territory. I believe he's fighting Islam Makashev, which isn't going to go well, which is why I'm very happy that he uh, is breakout star now and not like, you know, that didn't happen before the end of this year. I actually so, like that pick a lot more now that you've explained it. And I remembered who his fights were actually against. But it begs the question, why not Benil Dariush for breakout fight? <laughs> well, <laughs> Benil Dariush, basically, like, uh, he, it's not really him improving. It's him just basically releasing his inner beast. Yeah, he rebranded. <laughs> it was a rebrand, which is, I think, he broke out into a new tier of, of being fun for everyone, for the whole family. I mean, if he had the Oliveira fight and won it, I think he'd be a, a, a runaway for both breakout and fighter of the year. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Dariush is weird because he's kind of like hung out of the same tier of competition he's always done. He's just like one, it's like a higher level version of Kevin Holland almost. Where he's like kind of hanging out uh, the lower top 15 level opponents, even though he's higher than that. He's like hanging out with like Scott Holtzman and Frank Camacho and like, um, who else did he fight? Dracar Close. Like, you know, it's like, it's all kind of the same tier where Drew Dober kind of went from beating Marco Polo Reyes to being Nasrat Hackparast, which is kind of a bigger jump. We, uh, we didn't, no one nominated him, but just based on kind of the way we're talking about it, maybe it's Charles Oliveira 
even though nominated him just because he went from beating you know the Jared Gordons and Nick Lentz <sighs> times six of the world to ranked you know contendery discussed type oh, people like Kevin Lee and someone people are very high on him Tony Ferguson I mean that's that's a tier a tier jump now he's ranked and being considered for top five matchups he's going to play Justin Gaethje mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that kind this, of does raise the question of what's the difference because we do have a most improved category yeah. where Charles Oliveira kind right. of ran the board. This mm. this brings us back to the question of what's the difference be- between Is being a breakout, <laughs> yeah, being a breakout and being like the most improved one. Like, what, what's the difference? Is the breakout based on like notoriety or what? Because uh, yeah, I don't know bizarre. this. Yeah, my okay, my breakout star of the year makes the most sense it's uh like you may you may know him from his uh, like um, from the diner he runs like this little diner like uh that was uh, on the on the verge of uh collapse on the verge of financial collapse and uh, bankruptcy with the covid years but uh, he managed to bring it around by fighting it's a really a really inspiring story that uh, all media should pick up it's uh, uh Glover Teixeira <laughs> Exciting new prospect and footy icon Glover Teixeira. Uh, you can check out his diner at uh, on Instagram at uh, Glover's Oldies and Goodies. Like he he always makes the best pastries, and he made the ba- best pastry out of. Um, uh, well, well, no, I think it was a meat dish he made. He put it up on his Instagram lately, uh, like uh, a couple of days ago. It was I think it was um, I think it was a, a Brazilian meal. <laughs> <laughs> like something traditional. Head. Yeah, it was it it was uh, Tiago Santos's uh, meaty me, Tiago Santos's meaty meaty buttocks. Call us one the lion heart. It's just Anthony's head Smith. On <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you started with Tiago Santos's meat, I was like, this is gonna go into a I liked different direction. Going, yeah. Let's yeah. Let's <laughs> the hole a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Glove is an interesting pick. I mean, he did go from being a total gatekeeper kind of like who's going to beat Glover no one's going to beat Glover everyone's going to almost beat Glover <laughs> yeah I mean but it was Krilov who like got decision and everyone else has just kind of gotten squished after beating him up for a little bit <laughs> this is why it's easier to pick people who are younger in their UFC careers because it's much more easy to identify a, this is what they were this is what they are now Whereas with older fighters who are more experienced, they've been through several waves of where people are placing their expectations. Um, so we, we have not come to a decision and we will not be coming to a decision by this <laughs> podcast. We also don't know what the category is actually defined as. So that's just a, a, a garbage fire. Oh, what, wait, one sec. Speaking of things that are dumb, uh, Ryan Wagner's pick for breakout fight of the year is Marab Devalishvili. And what? I really <laughs> what the don't. Fuck? understand the yeah. rationale behind this because he did set set the takedown record which is cool um it's a cool accomplishment he broke out from being a guy that didn't have a, a record to being a guy that does have a record so maybe that <laughs> maybe that's it but his 2020 was casey kenny which uh i believe ryan himself doesn't think that Murab won that fight so okay interesting uh gustavo lopez who was like a short notice type of guy and i don't think he was very good and couldn't wrestle and then John Dodson, which was uh, one of the worst fights of the year. And uh, he had a really hard time with him, and it was pretty unimpressive. And before that, his wins were, like, in the UFC. Oh, you know what? You know what? 
He he opened his UFC career with two losses. Rob did in 2018-2017. Then he had one win over Tarion Ware in 2018, and Ware is just like the guy that they feed to the prospects, uh, who's like just good enough to give them a fight and like make uh, Tom Dukenwa not look good. Um, and also Sean O'Malley. Yeah, yeah, and then he beat uh, Brad Katona, who I thought was decent, but turned out to be less decent than I thought. Uh, that was 2019. So you know he was like, I, I'm starting to get it. He was like, all right, didn't really have much to his name at that point in 2019. Then 2020 beats two opponents worthy of recognition, you know, with, with Casey Kenny and John Dodson. So despite it being pretty anticlimactic, you know, his breakout is a really lame decision over John Dodson <laughs> and perhaps a robbery over Casey Kenny. I can actually see the argument for this. I think there is a clear tier jump there and is he ranked now he's ranked top 15 i believe um so maybe maybe i do want to vote for marab valishvili i might vote for chimaev i mean it would be it would be really (laughs) funny if you picked marab simply because uh two of his fights like against notorious opponents were (laughs) really like shaky (laughs) (laughs) is that is that more or less shaky than beating john phillips and reese mckee so it's just like yeah. Anything's less shaky than beating John Phillips. Right. So John basically, Phillips the takeaway. Like the, the takeaway is that we shouldn't do breakout of the year for next year because it's a bad this, category. Yeah, this category <laughs> makes no sense. Well, now I'm going to go with two very contradictory things because if we're going with the uh, Shemayev route, then I figured, Ed, you'd be the first one to bring up Ilya Topuria, who beat uh, two mm, better yes. guys, I would argue. I mean, Damon Jackson isn't very good. Damon Jackson and a lot are better than. Yeah. John Phillips and Reese McKee, and they're probably as good as Real Mearshart. Yeah, um, I mean, and two Mearshart tier opponents better than uh, Mearshart <laughs> plus like those two. Into Ilya also knows how to body punch, so I guess I'm picking him purely based on that. <laughs> yeah, but he uh, he had like some people might view his his win over Zalal as competitive just because he had COVID and got really tired uh, from beating him up after the first round. It wasn't competitive, but it was like. You know, like almost took him down in the second round or something like that and like was surviving and just uh Toporia had to take him down a bunch of times to get him to stop coming at him. Uh, and Zalal was you know still there at the end. So like I think she might have having the finishes is like what is breaking him out. But like so if Toporia had you know body punched to death both of his first two opponents, then maybe it'd be different, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd still consider him ahead of Shamayev just because I'm a complete hipster and I hate everyone yeah. who votes UFC likes. For the hipsters. Oh, uh, uh, here we go. I, if, you want, if you want some a quality, a quality argument, uh, Rafael Faziv went from one and one in 2019, knocked out by Mustafaev and beat Alex White in a kind of a contentious fight to Jacasey and Moicano. Those are, those are, yeah, I forgot about Fiziev. Yeah, he's well. had some really impressive performances oh, against. My vote. Screw all these Yeah, against options. actual <laughs> opponents. Quality like performances. We like now. I'm writing it. Right <laughs> well, I mean, it's our awards, so if I want to rig them in the favor of the guys I like, I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know who jumped I mean, several tiers as well with a single fight this year in December, Rob Font. Rob Font. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's really the thing. Did, like that's not really a thing. I mean, that's the thing. If you beat the guys we like, then you you become a guy we like, unless <laughs> unless you could get some kind of asshole, or we really really like the guy. So I guess my vote is also fizzy because Moicano is a boy, 
came out of nowhere, just, just stole the whole category. <laughs> let's do oh, a that, real category. That's 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 what yeah, the breakout actually one. is. I think we got yeah. a good a good choice there. Sure, I'm doing to introduce Jim of the Year. Yeah, Jim of the Year, which is pretty open and shut. Unlike you know me being a hipster, and I I, I agree with the general pick. But um, the majority is for Tiger Muay who brought in uh, Peter Yan and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky kind of shares time between City Kickboxing and uh, Tiger Muay And of course, the, our new breakout star of the year, Ralph Fazeev, <laughs> is also a Tiger Muay product. So uh, I'll let Ed kind of you know, set the stage, but that's probably going to be what our pick is. You didn't even mention Damir Ismagulov. Uh, he hasn't fought. He doesn't count. He didn't fight in 2020? He fought August 2019 and then died. Oh my gosh! I hate it so much. Valentina Shevchenko is also Tiger Muay Thai. Oh she for fuck's sake! Don't, people mind. don't talk about this. But she is. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I, I am uh, electing to ignore this information. That's uh, three champs, in my opinion. If we're going to take credit for Volk as well, uh, so we got Jan Volk, Shevchenko. Uh, I think most of the. You know, uh, Fiziev, uh, you know, a lot of different like up and comers uh, all train there. And like city kickboxing, they, they share a lot of talent between the two. I think they make the trips there a lot. So you can say they're influential in that regard. Uh, so there's probably a bunch of other people that I'm forgetting. But really, I think three, three chances is a good enough argument Who's already. Um, people are voting for not, uh, none, of, none of our staff did, but uh, some people have voted for. Um, The name escapes me. Elevation Fight Team oh, in yeah. Denver, which is uh, oh, sort of Trevor Whitman. He's not actually part of the gym, but it's Trevor Whitman. But it's also Sean Madden, our friend, and uh, yeah, he, some other some other coaches at that gym. Whitman now uh, works uh, really closely with the Elevation Fight Team, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's Justin Gagey's official gym. Uh, you know, Rose Namiunis, uh, Alistair Overeem, Curtis Blades, um, uh, Corey Sandhagen. Mm-hmm. Other people, perhaps yeah, <laughs> several be, contenders. That might be it. But yeah, good. A lot of good. Uh, a lot of a lot of top contenders these days. I just think the whole the champions thing is probably a better argument. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think. Uh, oh, I mean, Whitman is kind of his own thing. It's not just. It's not like he is tied to any gym. So, any fighter that trains under Whitman is basically a Whitman product, not yeah. necessarily the product of the gym that they train at. So it's kind of like a tricky subject. I mean, a uh, couple gyms that I think deserve mention, although they're not probably winners. Uh, one, our friend Simon would really appreciate the hoof shout out because he's actually done <laughs> some pretty good work this year. Uh, between Kamaru Usman, he's one of uh, Hoof's champions who had actually looked really improved in terms of his striking. I mean, I didn't really love the Colby Covington showing, but um, he did look improved there. That was the end of last year. And then Jorge Masvidal, where he was like parrying kicks and punching the body. It was pretty slick. Um, and also Derek Brunson's turnaround has been down to Henry Hooft. And uh, that's another contender, which middleweight desperately needs. Um, the other one is uh, Tyson Chartier, New England cartel, uh, which is, it's pretty much carried by uh, Cater and Mini Cater, which is Calvin Cater and Rob Font. Uh, but both of them hit the top five this year, I believe. I think Cater is number six, but he's pretty much top five since like the entire top five is tied up in dumb guys who aren't uh, fighting for years at a time. So uh, two pretty much top five opponents. Rob Font broke into the top five by beating Marlon Marias, uh, brought him back from an injury to win that fight, and Calvin Cater won two fights. So um, 
Yeah, those are probably the, but it's, it's, I think TMP is kind of a runaway candidate this time just because of how many champions they have in deep uh, divisions and the champions they have being genuine pound for pound talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems pretty, pretty uh, clear to me. Uh, biggest uh, fall offs for Gym of the Year, the people who had the highest stock prior to the year, I would say uh, American Kickboxing Academy really oh. lost a lot of steam. Uh, which, you know, I don't want to say I'm happy about it, but we've always kind of been warning people about here are the issues with AKA. It's not the super camp you think it is. They just have a really tough room. They recruit really well right now, but their development isn't all it's snuffed up to be. And people say, oh, you're crazy. Look at the, the people. Uh, but now things are a little different, aren't they? Yeah, aside from Khabib, it's been pretty rough. He, I mean, Khabib didn't... Pr- did did- not- he did not train at AKA for this fight. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. he didn't train at AKA for the Gagey fight, which which uh, may not be true, but I'm choosing to assume it's because he didn't train at AKA. That's why he looked so much better. Because <laughs> that is what happened to Rockwell. Done in a long time, like stuff from his Russian regional career. Does it again for the first time? The first camp he's not training at AKA in a while. That'd be a pretty crazy coincidence, I think. Very true. But uh, yeah, Daniel Cormier lost to Stipe Miocic. Kane Velasquez has fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, who Deron else? Win. <laughs> Deron Win. Deron Win. Did, did, did have a victory in his last fight against his very good opponent, who was definitely competent. Who was very big. <laughs> he was tall. Just, uh, DC was so mad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, the gym has lost a lot of talent, not just the results, but they just don't seem to be as popular as they were. Um, and some of their promising up-and-comers, like some of their good wrestling recruits, like Kyle Kretschmer, who's a multiple-time All-American for Oklahoma State, he lost, I think, twice. He might have lost once or twice this year. And uh, Ed Ruth, who made the move to AKA, lost twice and like retired already. So... Tough, tough blow for their prospects. They still have guys coming up like Nick Piccinini, but um, he hasn't fought yet. But it's just it's a rough look for the gym, especially with COVID. Probably took all of the Dagestanis out of their gym, which was the big selling point of the gym, I think, right now, is that you can train with all these guys. You can train with Khabib and Islam Makhachev and, and all these guys. And now it's, like, mostly just their American talent base, and it's not going as well. So uh, pretty hard fall off. Um, just, you know, Perhaps looking into the future, a gym who is really investing and seems to be building something up uh, internationally, this team Alpha Male has really invested in China, which say what you will about that. I don't know if it's the best idea, but they've been bringing in a lot of talent. A lot of fighters are stopping in the train. And I think they're also making an investment in women's MMA. So uh, rebranding as a gym. (laughs) Team Alpha Female. They are team alpha now. They they took away the male. Uh, unironically, <laughs> they did that. <laughs> wow. Anything else to say for gym of the year? I guess Faber is woke now. <laughs> and anti-vax and woke simultaneously. Well, I mean, that's what a Karen is. is. Yeah, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're moving on to the next category, which is knockout of the year. This one also seems like I don't see anyone winning this aside from... Um, Joaquin Buckley against Impa Kasanganai. The, uh, Spinny. He did a good Spinny. Spinny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, crazy kick dude versus guy who got crazy kicked. Kasango, bye-bye. 
I think uh, it's easy. You know, I, I always want to represent the hipster position because that's, you know, that's who we are. Um, it's easy for me to not want that to win because it's like, okay, yeah, it was cool, but it's just, it's just Joaquin Buckley and Impa Kasangane, like, who are they? But, you know, I actually have watched a couple of Kasangane's fights before this night. He was someone I was keeping an eye on. Um, I thought he was pretty decent for the weight. Um, this is a middleweight, I believe. So, you know, he was like body punching a lot and is super jacked and like seems competent overall. So I'm like, all right, he's kind of interesting. And Buckley, I had similar thoughts watching him against Kevin Hall and like this, he is spazzing out so hard right now. He's spazzing out to the body um, and just seemed to be like, you know, kind of panicking. But, you know, he had some potential as well from from what I was seeing. So those are those are decent enough guys where just the coolness of the knockout, just the aesthetic coolness of the knockout and the rarity, um, you know, obviously is going to shoot it way up. I don't think the drawback of them not being elite fighters uh, takes away as much as it would have with with others. Like if it's just like a random regional knockout. Um, so I, I think, you know, officially it's, it's going to win. It doesn't really matter if I pick it or not. It's going to win. Um, yeah, this this brings me to to like this made me think like how do you rate a knockout of the year like uh, good point. Uh, what are the criteria is it simply the coolness or is it simply the brutality because if you want to argue about quality like how was the knockout brought about like did was it set up cleverly was it against like a quality opponent uh, I mean what it took. Uh, the fighter to get the knockout because uh, frequently knockouts of the year are just basically meme knockouts. Someone just got bonked and 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 died, and that's it. And that's how you rate the knockout. But uh, uh, really, like some food for thought on how we're going to rate knockouts uh, going forward. Yeah, okay. I, uh, so, I think last year I there was some very popular pick um, was a uh, Korean zombie. Yeah, year last year was that two years ago? I think that was 2018. Yeah, sure. whatever. Whatever it was, there was some popular meme-ish knockout that people were voting for. And I voted for uh, Adesanya Whitaker just because, one, it was, it was, you know, even though it was sad, it was cool looking. It was very impressive looking. Um, but also just the context, like that was the best, one of the best wins of the year. And it's one of the best fighters who lost that year and he knocked him out. So I'm like, oh, that should probably be it, right? Um, but we didn't really have anything like that this year. I, uh, my original, I saw somebody say it. I'm like, that's a good idea. Uh, somebody said uh, Cater Stevens for knockout of the year, and that's like a pretty solid opponent, and it's Cater showing off something a little bit new. New, like, uh, not like he added new dimensions to his game, but new, like, when uh, they said Cain Velasquez is going to be a whole new fighter, and he came out against Travis Brown through a wheel kick. <laughs> 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 so he did also he did also elbow Danny Gay, so he is now a Muay Thai fighter. Yeah, he's he is Calvin elbows. Uh, I don't understand the the hands, Calvin Corbett. the hands Barboza feet cater the, thing. Cal- Calvin the ca- carnage, Calvin the carnage, cater. I like this development. Yeah, I think the the hands Barboza feet cater thing is like uh, both of them need to move in a very specific direction to win. They both need like a specific range that they can't really enforce super well. And uh, they are Hitmonchan and Hitmonlee, is what you're saying. <laughs> pretty the much. Of version of each other. Okay, I get it now. I needed the Pokemon analogy. But also, Cater is better and wins bad style matchups better. So. Maybe. Perhaps. 
Well, I mean, who, who's going to beat Max though? Maybe not Cater, but definitely Barboza. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is just chat memes that no one understands. <laughs> uh, I have to point out. Hans Barbosa versus Feet Cater is like my best joke ever that I have ever made during the course of my fight side career. I stand by it. It's carried so far that I didn't even know it was your joke. I just, it was just, you know, hard chat lore. And I was like, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know who did that, but it's good. This is a podcast that people are going to watch and be like, I got to be in this chat. Yeah, yeah. That's the. If you're not in the chat, it's worthless to you. You can get in the chat. But, yeah, I think. I mean, I think there are a couple other knockouts that people oh. probably want to see mentioned. The Cody Garbrandt versus Rafael Asuncao is oh. a popular pick. Oh. Uh, it depressed the hell out of me. I think it was like the narratively <laughs> saddest moment of UFC's entire history. Uh, it was Garbrandt. very sad, but it was also spectacular. Garbrandt winning by being Garbrandt. <laughs> yeah, I hate Garbrandt. <laughs> I hate him so much. The Marge Simpson meme from that fight is... <laughs> I'll crumple you, my son. <laughs> if that was a good looking Asunsao, I think uh, that would probably be my pick because Asunsao is better than Stevens historically, but he also looked kind of awful in that fight, in my opinion. Um, and Garbrandt didn't really do anything particularly. Let's be honest, new. we just don't want to give Cody credit. No, I mean, it's okay would. to admit it. No, I would if Asunsao looked good, but he didn't, and that made it even sadder. Uh, it- even if Garbrandt beats uh, Figgy, I'm not. I'm still not going to give him credit. Yeah, no, I mean, he, come on. He's, he's worthless. He's useless. Yeah, he has no, no value in my eyes. <laughs> uh, what are other ones? O'Malley um, and Wineland was the other one. Yeah, I mean, both of those kind of have like the same kind of theme, right? Yeah. Yeah, Wineland is ancient. Getting one punched. Yeah, old men. But uh, Francisco Trinaldo versus Jai Herbert, because Francisco mm. Trinaldo is now an inversion mm. of the old man meme where he is an old man who wins. He is the Glover Teixeira of the lightweights. So, Yeah, being an, old, being an old man at lightweight is like extremely impressive, no matter yeah. like, what your game is. Yeah, and Trinaldo looked like the better fighter, gassed out, looked like the worst fighter, and then killed him with a single punch. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, that's a quality to pick. Yeah, I mean, what else is there? I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff around the world, so just like with coolness. But like uh, Magomed Bibulatov had had a cool spinny wheel kick, knockout, very clean. I think ACA had another really good up kick, knockout. ACA had a, a lot of really amazing knockouts. Uh, Raul, uh, uh, top two, d- two Raleigh, d- his name didn't cool didn't uh, didn't KSW have that crazy like uh, oh, yeah, bicycle Pal- kick? Scott Askham had, uh, had a yeah. Like a it was kick. it happened on the same night, I think. Uh, uh, the same night that uh, the Buckley KO happened. Wow. <laughs> and San Hagen Marias was on that card. Oh, yeah, that was also spinning cat That ACA card was on that same day. Oh. The day of the energy year. Was, was peak. The planets were aligned. Mercury was in retrograde. I don't know <laughs> if it was the same card, but also um, Daniel Oliveira Judalu knocked out um, ARD with a flying knee to the body, and that was pretty cool. Daniel Oliveira to Electric Jubilu. <laughs> 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 I don't know if that's, that's how you say his name. That's how you said it. So I'm like, all right. Please. I think it's like Jubilee or something, but I don't really know that that works. That's his name now. This is yeah. like uh, when Rashad Evans thought that uh, Eve Jaboy was pronounced Jaboy, and uh, he he did this whole elaborate setup of of he he's my boy, he's your boy, he's he's. he's <laughs> 
Oh, Jesus. Man, this year was so long. I, I can't remember anything. Like, I, 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 would, I remember individual knockouts, but only if I'm prompted to. But otherwise, they all blend together. Like, like RDA Kias are happening this year put me into a deep bout of depression. Knocked out Sri Ram. Knocked out of the year. Knocked the life out of Sri Ram's eyes. Was it ever there? I did um, not. I, you'll be happy to know that I did my Wrestling from May Awards podcast. Um, not solidified because I haven't done the article yet, but I did not mention RDA Kiesa on the podcast. <laughs> Cancel so, that fight. Remove it from the public record. Does not exist. Kyojo versus Sasakura was a cool knockout. Yeah. Kind of, oh, yeah that was yeah. good. Early stoppers, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. Me. Sakura wasn't, wasn't completely out. So kind of. It was an acceptable stoppage. Like, if MMA stoppages were reasonable, that would have been a fine one. Yeah. They, they aren't. Yeah. So, just by the standards of MMA stoppages, it was early. It was actually fine. He, like, yeah, f- for it to be a uh, quality MMA stoppage, Asakura should have ended up with, like, a broken jaw, the shattered nose, and, like, both his eyes leaking out of his skull. Because that's how just MMA works. Aldo Yen was a good stoppage. That's, that's what stoppage <laughs> Yeah, excellent like. stoppage. I mean, early stoppage. sure that they're not going to make it. Yeah, Aldo wasn't, wasn't out. Mm. <laughs> Between yeah. Aldo Yen and Funk Marais, this was the death of the bald Brazilian boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the refs, I just... think, are racist towards Brazilians, if I'm being honest. Davis and Figueiredo got a point taken away for the first time on the type of foul. So I, this does not have anything to do with any of our awards, but he, he did two fouls, right? He did the eye poke, I think, or something, and then he did the nut kick. But the kick was uh, when Moreno was walking into him he got caught with the front snap kick because he closed the range. And obviously that kick extends as it goes across. So it's going to be lower if you step into it. I got a point taken away for it. His first time hitting the groin in that fight. It doesn't make sense to me because everyone was against Figgy like, that night. If I throw a punch and you turn the back of your head and I hit the back of your head, I wasn't targeting the back of your head. You're going to yeah. take a point. Like that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's like everyone who dick kicks John Dobson. Cause like Dobson, when you try to leg kick him, he just like yeah. runs forward into it. You basically have to tell them stop throwing low kicks <laughs> or you're gonna <laughs> no more kicking <laughs> throw rear leg uh rear leg kicks not not uh, lead leg kicks yeah because that, that's where most of the dick kicks come come from but uh yeah i want to shoehorn that that argument in because i had no other place to put it everyone was against figgy that night it's, it's insane so sad let's move nah. on categories we're taking a long time here <laughs> that's fine uh, submission of the year. I think this is generally going to separate into two broad categories. Um, the first one we've already talked about, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Any notes on like the, the nature of the submission itself? Was the cool. super cool? <laughs> Very quick. Very um, quick. Gaethje went to sleep. Yeah. The other but, one is uh, the other one with several votes of uh, is Aljamain Sterling versus Corey Sandhagen which is kind of different in that it was kind of just like a, a classical Damian Maya style sub where he just worked his way to the back in a way that you'd be like, oh, he works his way to the back every single time. And then he choked him out in a way that was, he chokes him out every single time. And it helps because Corey Sanhagen isn't, I don't, he's not as good as Justin Gaethje, but he is a genuine contender at 135 and Sterling just kind of embarrassed him and crushed him with ease. So um, the, the Marais win for Sanhagen really helps with that because you know, Sanhagen's not just a, flash in the pan but yeah I mean it really depends on what you pick because Gaethje's the better opponent but uh, Sanhagen just kind of got the completely destroyed in grappling contest 
it was almost like uh, an early prospect loss, except Sandhagen is an extremely like experienced fighter. So that, uh, he's that still a prospect. Yeah, basically, yeah. That's what's shocking about it. Like my yeah. is my love is thirty four years old and a prospect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just another opportunity for us to say that MMA matchmakers suck dick. MMA matchmakers can lick my balls. They like, like, yeah, <laughs> like, like my, like my balls, batty and dick. Officer, take me to custody. Look at my balls, batty and dick. <laughs> this is this is like a music track of the year award, fight side music, <laughs> music of the song of the year award. Not right here. I'm inventing it on the spot, even though it's not fighting. Here for um. Yeah, so those two submissions make a lot of sense as, as picks. Um, one of the other ones I think people have been throwing around just based on like coolness and like uniqueness and, and rarity. Also a little bit of like you beat a pretty good guy with this. Uh, AJ McKee uh, had that neck crank, uh, the, the, the 100% on uh, uh, Darian Caldwell who took him down pretty much right away. And then uh, they were just playing with posture a little bit in guard. And I think he like sat up for a guillotine. I don't really remember the details, but it was a neck crank. It, it was pretty rare. People hadn't seen it before. And uh, I mean, Caldwell is a guy who has been guillotined by Joe Timangelo. So maybe pump the brakes on how impressive it is to submit Darian Caldwell. But like also Horiguchi submitted him and Horiguchi doesn't submit people. Um, so it's not like he has great submission defense, but it was just like it was a big win. Um, look cool. Figgy Paris comes to think of it. Figgy Paris comes to think of it was a cool submission. That was a cool submission. He forced that completely. It, it didn't look like he had it at all and, and Perez still tapped. So. Strongest grip of the year goes to the Figgy. Um, super crazy squeeze. But this Just, category is actually a lot of less interesting than I thought it was. But, like, yeah. you just want to go for, like, rare subs. You could also do, like, I think Mackenzie Dern had a cool knee bar this year. Um, but also, like, Hannah Cypher's F and chat. Talk about Hannah Cypher's ground game. <laughs> I mean, MMA overall is sort of moving towards, like, more knockouts than subs. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of the, the meta. Like the whole sport meta is just more striking than anything. I thought Oliveira Lee was a cool submission, just the way that the fight built toward it. Um, and yeah. it was standing, standing guillotine, right? And then he he might have ended on the ground, but it, yeah, it was like, like a half guard guillotine. So. Yeah, yeah, that's like kind of unique. Yeah, by the way, the way that the just the whole moment of the fight, the momentum building up into that and the finish, it was it was cool. Um, but if you're gonna go that way, then Khabib Gaethje is pretty amazing. Morris Green versus John uh, Volante was an amazing submission, I believe, purely on the uniqueness factor. Very rare. <laughs> yeah, very rare. Like, uh, just <laughs> the guy gets so tired, <laughs> he lays down on top of the other guy and then taps <laughs> because he's so gassed. <laughs> Simply because the other guy hugs him. <laughs> that was like and the such... arm triangle thing, right? Yeah, it was sort of like moving for, yeah. for the, like, the arm triangle thing, but just... Like uh, on the bottom, from the bottom, pulled, and pulled his head into his chest and said, "You can't breathe now." <laughs> yeah, it was just, "I, I take your neck." <laughs> and he was, "No." Like, because I've I mean, seen the, the idea... arm triangle from bottom before, and like, um, who was it? I think Aljo did it to Takei Mizugaki. He did, but that was like an actual good one. Yeah, it was a real just... arm triangle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was actually the sub was actually in. It wasn't just Jan Valante deciding that he doesn't want to fight anymore, even though he was on top and he was winning. I believe wasn't he winning? He did drop Morris Green with like a who counter knows? hook. Yeah, Morris Green went for this stupid uh, Jackson wink like a Superman punch and got dropped. It was really funny. 
Yeah, there's something so powerful in the idea of a professional fighter letting himself go so hard he just turns into some guy. <laughs> I mean, respect it so much. <laughs> first, the breakout fighter of the year, John Vellante, from being a fighter, <laughs> broke at, down out of the pack of fighters attempting to be good to the fighters who were phoning it in. And, uh, <laughs> to just people. <laughs> broke out from fighter to guy. It's nice. He is a guy. Guy of the year award. And uh, last category is pretty much a wash. Um, went for most improved fighter and everyone voted for Charles Oliveira. No. Um, and uh, a really good explanation if you want to hear about like how Charles Oliveira is better at grappling. Uh, Ryan went off in last week's podcast. I don't know how long that was, but I asked him a question. I was like, is it was it Oliveira's ground top game looking better or Tony just kind of not being good at that good at doing things off his back? And Ryan said, well, it's a bit of both. And then he just went to this entire thing about Oliveira looking good. And I don't remember any of it. So <laughs> listen to that because I'm not going to explain it because I don't remember. Um, so that's one one argument here. But yeah, why did you guys pick Charles Oliveira? I mean, uh, uh, uh. Uh, yeah, the the thing that Ryan said, except uh, pretend I'm the one saying it. All the smart things that Ryan said, pretend I'm the one saying it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, I've still been a Charles Oliveira doubter just because, like, uh, his fight against Kevin Lee, it was kind of a weird one where uh, he was outstriking Lee pretty convincingly, and we're like, oh, Charles Oliveira's striking is actually really, really good now. And then he got kind of laid on for a little bit and beaten on the ground, and you're like, oh, this is the point in the fight where Oliveira gives up. And then Lee kind of gave up first, and you're like, okay, well, Lee always does that. But then he beat Tony yeah. Ferguson, and that was genuinely super impressive. I think Oliver was kind of like a shoe in for this since the Lee fight, as much as I was like kind of doubting him against the Lee competition. Uh, and as much as we doubt Ferguson's state, I don't really think that fight goes any different with Ferguson in like 2017, 18, 16 necessarily. So, mm. yeah, I mean, Charles Oliveira, I, I believe what Ryan said was that he was using his submission attempts a little bit more intelligently. And yeah. that he was, he was genuinely the escape routes rather than just like you know, leaping on them and squeezing to death. He was generally like harnessing his aggression in a more intelligent fashion. He didn't just go nuts from the get go. He tried to set up things. He didn't try to set up to set up things. He actually set up things. That's the difference. Uh, like he looked clever on the feet against Tony. Like it, it, it looked like he looked at the Gagey fight and took some lessons from it. Like how can I? Uh, like uh, use the same game plan. Some some of the things that uh, Gagey uh, had success using in the, in that in that fight, and use them with my game in order to uh, secure the win. That mm -hmm. that's what was really interesting about that fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like the difference between uh, using a front headlock as like takedown defense and jumping on a guillotine literally every single time. Mm -hmm. Is that you know the first one was Charles Oliveira all the time, like before this year. Uh, before like the last couple of years and now he's like you know using the triangle to get back on top and only jumping on the arm bar when like, there are a couple seconds left so uh, it was it was a smart performance and yeah i mean there weren't really that many super markedly improved fighters this year which also helped but Oliver would definitely be a nominee in like any other year yeah i um i, I feel that this charles Oliveira thing has been building since last year um last year he had a bunch of impressive performances where he started to reveal uh, some good jumps in like his skill competency, uh, especially with his boxing, right? He, he, he definitely looks sharper with his hands. And he's always 
know, people, I think, don't haven't seen his full career when they talk about him a lot. Um, but as a person who's recently rewatched most of his career, um, he's always been an aggressive striker and, and favored a lot of the same weapons. It's not, it's not like, a uh, oh, he added new strikes to his arsenal, which is a thing that pundits like to say. Um, yeah, it's always like uh, wheel kick. <laughs> with yeah, with the uh, fighter improvements, it's always like people always tend to think, you know, that in terms of oh, he's has this he has this new weapon now, or like he's added right. this new technique that he can use. Uh, when it really the actual progression, the actual real progression that makes most sense and is the most impressive, is. Uh, becoming comfortable with your tools with your mm-hmm. toolkit and becoming uh, and becoming more deep in using that same toolkit that you started out with learning new ways to use it and uh, learning ways to use it in an intelligent way to actually like uh, secure your victory in, in a way that doesn't rely on your natural attributes etc cetera, etc cetera. that's where the impressiveness factor comes in mm-hmm. that's yeah, where yeah. it really comes from one of the things if you want to talk about like a new a new weapon, maybe in a broader conceptual sense. Sense, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. Got to finish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but he he's a lot better off the back foot. Um, when people pressured him, when people you know came after him, um, he always had kind of had his wrestling game to try to bail him out of those situations. But those high paced grappling fights are often the ones where he started to get a little sloppy, and make mistakes, like the Anthony Pettis fight. Um, See, we, that's the one where he felt the need to scramble up and reshoot and got submitted because he didn't feel comfortable on the feet with Pettis because Pettis was picking him apart. Um, but I mean, there's been other fights. I mean, people have been pressing him back. Um, but he has, he's done a couple of things. One is he has definitely refined his pressure approach. So it doesn't happen as often where he needs to be the aggressor. Um, and in order to do that, been growing into the weight class, got bigger, thickened up, um, definitely has been training within in the situations of i have to walk through fire um so i think just mentally got more used to getting hit and, and being hurt a little bit and, and how to work through things but also like things like head movement and selection of his strikes and timing and uh footwork off the back foot just you know all, a lot of the ancillary skills that help you do an approach have been filling in and uh that that was all kind of coming throughout 2019 and then in 2020 i mean we have the kevin lee fight which feels like like a similar dynamic to a lot of the other fights um just pressing his advantage and working through it but then the tony ferguson fight is one of the first times where you see him know exactly how he's going to win the fight and just sticking with a really tight conservative game plan and looking like an elite fighter um and and not having any issues whatsoever against someone who even even if regressed a higher skill level than a lot of the other guys he's been fighting so i feel like you you it, it was coming and then there was an entire concept switch in the Ferguson fight that makes you think, yeah, something, something's different here. He's doing things differently. Yeah. This uh, brings us to the topic of like, uh, what is actually an improvement and what people think an improvement is because many people t- said that Gagey's style turnaround was uh, the most improvement. And like, this is the most technical and good Gagey that we've ever seen, like the sharpest, cleanest, but, uh, <clears throat> and I'm not saying that, it isn't impressive. The style, the, the style change isn't impressive, and he definitely looked really clean and uh, like improved in, in many ways. But uh, it's also not him really building on the style that he had before. It's not him like tightening the screws around in his game. And uh, Kevin Lee is also another example of where he tried to change up his style and 
and he went to TriStar because, like, uh, apparently having a long wingspan and uh, a wrestling base is just automatically turns you into the GSP now, <laughs> which uh, didn't pan out with Kevin Lee at all, uh, especially against uh, Chucky Olives, uh, where he just... Basically, he's had the same problems that he's always had, and he didn't deepen his pre-existing skill set and tried to change things up, and it ended up hurting him in the long run instead. So it uh, really, like, uh, the preconceived notions of what an actual improvement is seems to be, like, uh, not reflective of actual reality, in my opinion. I've got another so that, one. Got another, oh, yeah. Another Which shout. Also, I forgot. I forgot during Breakout Fighter of the Year. Um, if you're using Breakout as like actual popularity, then no. But Breakout as in like this guy did some cool, impressive stuff and should be considered. And maybe he wasn't before. Uh, Bellator uh, Yaroslav Amasov beat Ed Ruth and Logan Storley in 2020, and just looked really impressive and really interesting, entertaining fights where he had to show all of his skills. And he just looks like a cool, interesting welterweight. And Logan Storley looked good and. Ed Ruth didn't look good, but yeah, I just wanted to shout out Yaroslav Amosov. I talked about him on the um, the wrestling podcast as well, but what I was thinking of that because Bellator um, most improved. I would like to give a shout out to Aaron Pico for becoming mm. um, It didn't happen right away. People thought it was going to happen right away because he went to Jackson Wink in <laughs> 2021. No. People still think that Jackson Wink is this elite game planning fighter development it's not. It never was. Maybe that's a subject for another time. We can get deeper into it, but no. Uh, but Aaron Pico went 3-0 in 2020 uh, after people probably remember the Henry Corrales fight. Uh, he was on a four-fight win streak after losing his debut. It was looking really deadly uh, with the striking fights Henry Corrales, and they're, they're banging in the pocket as Pico likes to do. And he came up a little short and got, got knocked dead. Um, I think he was getting rocked a little bit before he got knocked dead and said, let's keep banging in the pocket. And then he got knocked dead. So that was that was everyone's like, oh no, Pico's not gonna make it, uh, kind of moment. And then he makes the switch to Jackson Wink, and everyone's like, oh okay, yeah, he's gonna use his wrestling now because he shot one takedown in his first f- six fights, and the one was when he got rocked by Zach Freeman. You know, that's what led to him getting submitted. So he's gonna use his wrestling now. So he fights uh, Adam Boric, and he uh, shoots the whole fight. It's not, it wasn't just like, oh, it's incorporated. It's like, no, I am going to spam takedowns. I'm going to wrestle nonstop. There will be no nuance to it. And it was working uh, until Boris got a kind of a read on the level changes and countered him with a flying knee, which is an insane way to win. Um, but it happened. So that's two knockouts in a row. Three times he's been rocked pretty badly in his career so far. Everyone's saying, oh no, Pico's done. Uh, fights three people in 2020 who honestly yeah they're kind of a similar level of the three guys he fought after his debut loss because uh, leandro he goes good i'm not going to group him in with them but uh the next three guys he fought maybe weren't so great but what was nice was that pico wasn't just walking them down and bombing on them because he knew he could he was actually like trying to do a fight <laughs> he was trying to put a performance together and you know slowly but surely First, you saw him, you know, once, once he did take people down, like his ground game and his top game looked a lot better. And he's like working through positions and had a little system going. But right then you're like, okay, that's great. Um, Cause he can probably take down everyone, <laughs> everyone in the sport at least once. 
Um, so if he can work from that well, then that, that's amazing. Um, and then what I really, really liked seeing from him in the John DeJesus fight, uh, John DeJesus is a training partner of my, my friend, Alan, who, who uh, is a good amateur fighter, but they both train in Pittsburgh. And he's always telling me about John DeJesus. He's like, this guy is really hard to body punch. This guy's really hard to wrestle because his timing on his knees, his counter knees is really good. Um, and then you're thinking about the Borge fight. You're like, all right, well, if he's going to have to take this guy down, then he's probably going to get counter need. And uh, sure enough, DeJesus looked good enough on the feet to make Aaron Pico need to wrestle. Um, was picking him apart a little bit, was, was playing, playing some nice outfighter roles in the fight. And uh, Pico did the, the basic wrestler thing that you want them to do. He understood the interplay between his overhand and his level changes for his double leg because they look the, the same. cheat codes, the wrestler cheat code, the wrestler cheat code. So they're against the cage and he was fainting the level change and DeJesus threw the knee. He said, okay, that's what's going to happen when I level change. So he did it again. DeJesus threw the knee. And if you know, you know, MMA fighter knee mechanics, you're going to lean back and probably expose your head and be in a terrible position to take a punch. And instead of shooting on him, he fired off the overhand. He knocked him out. It was pretty brutal. Uh, maybe a knockout of the year candidate, but just a uh, shout out. Me call it comeback, call it breakout, call it what you want, but shout out Aaron Pico for discovering how to be an MMA fighter. Uh, <laughs> discovering the, tenth, the basic dynamic. In the 10th bo- of his career, he, he got yeah. it, he figured it out. Um, but people thought he wasn't gonna. So just, I, I didn't think he was gonna because he was at Jackson Wink, but he, he did. So props, shouts to Aaron Pico. Yeah, I mean, this has gone nearly two hours. Uh, <laughs> night has fallen upon well, the Gallo really? household. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's black and so, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think, I mean, we've gone through all the categories, so I guess we should wrap it up. Uh, anything final, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I, I suppose the final thought for me is that um, these awards, uh, it's, it's not like they aren't really like all that interesting on their own. Uh, the more like uh, pound for pound rankings, they're only a tool that should be used in order to like launch a discussion in into some of the deeper topics about uh, fight analysis and all that, and what makes a good fighter, what makes a good submission, what makes a good knockout, and it's um, really an interesting tool that people underutilize a bit. They more use, they use it more as a popularity context uh, contest and. Um, uh, it's uh, it can be much more than that, and which I, I hope this discussion managed to prove, and maybe we could build build on that going forward. So that was really interesting, and yeah, uh, I guess I suppose that's all from me. This has been much more illuminating than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, you thought we were going to be dumb. We yeah, um, about something. I, I thought I am going to. Be, I thought that I'm going to be dumb, not you. Also, We're I thought all my dumb English... together, and I think that's yeah. what makes a good podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out a uh, website of the year, fightsite.com, obviously. Uh, <laughs> analyst of the year, uh, Codex MMA. Nah, analyst of the year, uh, there's this uh, new guy who's up on YouTube. He's getting 100K and he's labeling every punch. <laughs> you should check him out. Um, Shout out. You know, very deep. Breakout YouTube analysis. creator of the year, honestly, uh, based on our definition. All right. Let's, uh, let's sign off before we incriminate ourselves any further. <laughs> we'll see y'all later. See you next time.